Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Got your Bibles, look with me to Luke chapter 19. And we're in this series on hospitality, which uh, I remember I was telling a guy about the series a little while ago, and he goes, Have you ever known of another church that did a series on hospitality? And I was like, Well, I'm a preacher, so I've probably stumbled across a few, but it's pretty rare, I think. I don't know that a lot of people have done this kind of a thing. And uh, so let me just tell you where we've been. Week one, we talked about, and really week one and two were sort of preparation for us, they were sort of getting us ready for what, uh, what we need to, to be ready to do uh, before we can move out in hospitality. So week one, we talked about God's hospitality to us, that God created a world that was perfectly suited for us, and God gave us a new creation and saved us, even though we were sinners, and gave us new life, so that in His hospitality and welcoming us home, that we might know Him. And so that has to be our starting place. So before we can offer hospitality and generosity to someone else, we have to first receive it from God. Uh, we, we give because he first gave to us. Uh, and then week two, uh, we looked at Mary and Martha. And we looked at these two sisters, one who's frantically running around serving, trying to uh, be hospitable, and the other who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we said uh, that if we do not possess internal peace or rest with God, we can't offer external attention to others around us. And so we need to welcome the Lord's peace before we can offer um, attention or, uh, and, and hospitality to other people. So that's week one and two. This week, we turn to action. This week, we turn to what does it actually look like for us to be hospitable and to live this out in our own midst. So week, uh, in Luke 19, we're going to see Jesus initiate, initiate this new relationship with a man named Zacchaeus, a man who probably would have won the award in high school for least likely to be friends with Jesus. Uh, if that was an award that they gave out in high school, maybe it's one they should consider. I don't know. But, uh, but God loves to do miraculous things in people's lives. And so he's going to initiate with this man named Zacchaeus. And what we're going to see is that relationships start with a simple reality. Someone's got to go first. You put two strangers in a room, and someone, for those two to enter into a relationship, someone has to go first. What we see is that if we want to change the world, we're going to have to initiate relationships like Jesus did, and that's going to have to become a normal part of our everyday life. Uh, so look with me as we get into Luke 19. It starts, uh, begins and says, And Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran up ahead and climbed up on a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And as Jesus was about to pass that way, he, uh, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, 
Today, salvation has come to this house, for he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. We see what uh, happens in this story. It's a pretty short story, uh, no pun intended. Wait for it, you'll get it. Um, but it's not a very long story. It's a pretty short episode. But what we see is Zacchaeus was what was known as a chief tax collector in that time and a Roman regional tax center. So he administrated collection of taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. Uh, now, to get that role, he would have had to bid for it. So it was a role, a role that he would have run for. He would have bid for it. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and put in a, an offer, and they would have accepted his bid and said, okay, well, if you pay us X amount and you do the right things, then we'll allow you to take on this new role and allow him to, um, <coughs> to, to fulfill this role of being a tax collector. Now, generally how this worked was Rome set the amounts of the taxes, and once they had set the amount of the taxes, the tax collector's job was to get at least that amount. Now, if he happened to collect more than that amount, that was fine by Rome. He got to keep whatever he managed to squeeze out of people. He just had to send the agreed upon amount all the way to Rome, and he was good. He was covered. And so basically, what it means is that he became, most tax collectors were kind of like a dad on Halloween. They, they knew they were entitled to a certain daddy tax, but then they also would wait till the kids went to bed and they go get the best candy for themselves and take a little extra. Can I get an amen? Like, you know what exactly what I'm talking about if you're daddy. You're like, you, know, you kind of look and you're like, the kids don't want me to take those, but if they're, they're not going to remember what they really got when they wake up in the morning. And so I can go squeeze a little extra, except that it really wasn't very funny for the people whose money was actually being taken. In fact, tax collectors were really hated. And, um, what we see about uh, Zacchaeus was it says he was rich which probably means he was really good at his job. Uh, these guys were viewed as sellouts because they were, uh, they were turning against their own people and betraying them and stealing from them and sending it off to the Roman Empire who had taken, them, um, taken over their lands. And so these people were considered profiteers off of their own people's hardship. And so they were kind of viewed as disgusting sort of people. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. You notice what it says. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the large crowd, he could not because he was a short man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus, for he was about to come that way. So apparently what we know about uh, what's happening here is Zacchaeus does not know Jesus. He doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, has never met Jesus, but he's probably heard about Jesus. Reputation has gone forward and he's heard about the miracles Jesus is doing, he's heard about his teaching, he's heard about the way Jesus is interacting with the people of that world, of his world, and he wants to know a little bit more about this guy. But the crowd's big, and since he's a short dude, he runs ahead and climbs up a tree. A sycamore tree was a tree with a wide trunk. It had kind of wide branches that went out this way and were really good for, for sitting upon and easy to climb. And he just wants a glimpse of the guy everyone is talking about, likely uh, as a guy who sort of profited off of everyone in the city. He was a guy who sort of kept his, his finger on the pulse of the city and wanted to know all the scuttlebutt, wanted to know what's going around as an influential guy. Like, I need to know what's happening, and this guy seems to be causing a stir. I want to just kind of peer in and see what this guy is all about. So he climbs a tree and kind of gets a bird's-eye view of Jesus. You know, the interesting thing for me in this uh, story is that when I was growing up, the little kids area in our church was called the sycamore tree. And I, I always felt like you're just saying we're all short people that take too much. 
You know, like that must have been what they thought about kids in our church was that you're all short people that just take too much. But no, I think what they were saying was, we want you to meet Jesus like Zacchaeus met Jesus. But I always kind of laughed at, when I think about the story. I can't help but think about growing up in that story or in that church. Now, when I think about Zacchaeus, it's interesting because the way this portrays Zacchaeus is that he's very much an outsider. He's not a guy who has a kind of an inside track with Jesus. He's not a guy who has a, has a religious inroad to Jesus. He's a guy who's very much an outcast. He's an outsider. He's on the fringe. He can't even get close to Jesus, so he runs ahead and climbs a tree, and he's there looking down, um, hoping that Jesus will come his place. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Um, don't you know that was a surprise move? Think about a scene in the city that looks like a parade with a, a big entourage and a large crowd of people and people lining the streets and important celebrity walking down the streets and everyone just trying to get a glimpse. We know from other scenes that people would reach out and touch Jesus at times. And it was probably that kind of a scene where there's just a big hubbub of all the things that are going on. And as Jesus is walking down the streets, all of a sudden Jesus just kind of takes a right turn and looks over at Zacchaeus and goes, hey, Zacchaeus, dude, come down from the tree. Don't you know that was awkward for Zacchaeus? Large people around and you're a grown man standing up in a tree. And like, I, don't, I don't know that culture that well, if that was a normal thing. But I'm guessing that, that you know, just like it is for us today, like, it's not easy for me to get in a tree. My kids climb trees all the time. It's like, that's a lot of work. It's a bit of an awkward thing. And so to be up in a tree and have people look at me and say, well, come down in a large crowd, I think would be a little awkward. I've got to picture Zacchaeus as kind of like, who, Me? And Jesus is going, well, yeah, like, is there another Zacchaeus in the tree? Yeah, you, come down. Um, But here what we see is Jesus is the one that makes the first move. He takes the initiative. He invites himself to go to Zacchaeus' house. Friends, this is an important principle. As we think about hospitality, as we think about what does it look like for you and for me to live on mission in this world and to live like Christ, Jesus was the one that made the first move. We see an important lesson here which is hospitality is less about our homes and more about our heart. Where was Jesus' house? Well, we know he didn't have one, right? In fact, Jesus says in another place in Matthew, he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Meaning, I'm a homeless guy. I don't have a home of my own. So he didn't have a place to invite himself in, which maybe that's why he invited himself to go uh, to, Zac- to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house. So maybe this was just a matter of convenience. Jesus is like, dude, I don't have a place to stay. You look like a good place. I hear you're rich. Can I come stay at your house? Uh, but I, I think there was probably more going on in this story than that. I don't think this was mere coincidence. I think this was intentional. You notice there's a, there's a sense of urgency to what Jesus says. He says, I must stay at your house today. Now the phrasing, in the original, the phrase there, what it says, I must, is, it is necessary. And anytime in Luke's writing and uses that phrase, he almost always, what he means is, this is a divine necessity. This is something God has put on my heart to do. This is something God has orchestrated or planned for, to, planned for me to do. It's necessary for me to come and spend time with you today. Zacchaeus. Friends, can I ask you a question? Do you see befriending another person as part of your God-given mission in life? When you walk through our streets of our city, when you go to the office, when you take a walk in your neighborhood, students, when you walk down the halls, do you see befriending 
your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates as a divine mission that you've been sent upon by God himself. It's what you see with Jesus. It is, think about how busy Jesus was. Jesus was busy enough that he had crowds of people flocking to him just to get a glimpse of him. And yet here he stops and says, I want to come and I want to spend time with you, this individual person, Zacchaeus, because he believed that God was orchestrating something good. Friends, how would it change our perspective if we began to see the people around you every day as divine opportunities? If you looked around and everywhere you saw, you saw God up. You saw God opportunity to connect with someone in the name of Christ and to befriend them and to enter into their turf and to, to begin to get to know them and to ask them about their life and to go in and sit down with them and share a meal with them. And you saw that as a divinely appointed opportunity to engage the people of our city who were made in the image of God. I think that's one of the things we see from Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly why it was so necessary for Jesus to meet with Zacchaeus that day. But I think we get a hint from the end of the passage. Jesus is going to take this and use it kind of like a, a teaching lesson. He's going to turn and he's going to be in, and talk to the crowd. And he said, look, I came here to seek and save the lost. He's saying, what I'm doing with Zacchaeus is about the mission and purpose for which God, for which the Father sent me into the world. So verses 6 and 7. It says, Zacchaeus hurried and came down from the tree and received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled and says, he's gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Isn't it interesting, the contrast in the two responses? How does, uh, how, how does Zacchaeus respond? And he's happy about the situation. How do the crowd that see it respond? And they're, they're not happy. And in fact, the term that's used is grumbling. Uh, it's interesting in the passage that grumbling, or in the New Testament, grumbling's Almost always a negative, a negative concept. But see, in that world, tax collectors were viewed at as morally corrupt people. They, they, they were viewed as ethically um, um, unsafe. And they were viewed as spiritually unclean. And, and so eating with a person who had ill-gotten gain or who had taken from others was, was considered uh, to make you a partner in crime. So if you made yourself a friend of someone who stole from other people, they looked upon you and said, well, you're just like those who stole. And so for Jesus to go and sit down with Zacchaeus was for him to put himself in fellowship or friendship or relationship with one that they labeled as a sinner. So they say he's a man who's a sinner. Uh, was there anyone in that crowd that wasn't a sinner? You know, all had fallen short. All were sinners, right? So all the religious dudes, they were sinners too, but they labeled Zacchaeus as a especially bad sinner, someone who bore the title of sinner. And you see the go through the whole Gospels that tax collectors and sinners were those that were the really bad people. And so they said, Jesus has made himself a friend of the really bad people. And instead of coming and having lunch with us, they're jealous and they're frustrated about it. And so it says when they saw it, they all grumbled and they're complaining Notice the word all. You know what all means? It means all. It means like the whole crowd grumbled. It means like when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus came down and received Jesus humbly. And I don't know if they shook hands or they, you know, headbutted or what they did or he hugged him. Or I'm not sure what they did, but they began to go off down the house, go off to Zacchaeus' house. What you saw was the whole crowd just began to murmur and grumble and, and gripe. I can't believe he's doing that. Why would he make himself a friend of that guy who's such a bad guy? I don't know why he'd hang out with someone like that. 
And they, in that culture, would ostracize someone like that as a way to deter anyone else from becoming like them. Now, what's interesting in Luke's gospel, over and over what we see is Jesus reaches out to unpopular tax collectors and sinners. And he makes friends out of them. And what Luke's trying to help us see is that outcasts are welcome to receive the gospel. That the mercy of God moves toward outcasts. Friends, you realize that we can all respond in one of these two ways. We can move towards someone as Jesus did. We can move away from others like the grumblers did. In fact, what I, would, what I want to say today is that you either have a grace face or you have a grumble face, but you can't have both. Anyone agree with me that our world needs less grumbling and more grace? When you think about the, the people that we interact, when you think about our city, when you think about what you see in your timeline, when you see on the news, when you think about uh, the, the hubbub and the things that cause a stir in our world, who thinks we need more grumblers? We don't. We need more grace. And I want to read you just one of my favorite stories. This came from Chuck Swindoll. I heard it when I was in college. I've never forgotten it. But it just tells you about the difference that your face, the simple thing of your face, and what a difference it can make. And in this story, he writes, during his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of his companions were traveling across the country on horseback, and they came to a river that had left its bank because of a, re- a recent downpour. And the swollen river had washed the bridge away, so each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback, fighting for his life against the rapid currents. And each rider was threatened with a real possibility of death, which caused the traveler who was not part of their group to step aside and watch. So you catch the scene. There's a flood that's come. The bridge is washed away. They're on horseback. They're going to ford the river on horseback and try to get across. And there's a dude that doesn't have a horse that happens to stand there. And he starts watching as these guys are doing it. And he's like, man, I've got to get to the other side too. So what happens? He goes on and says, after several plunged in and made it to the other side, the stranger walked up and asked President Jefferson if he would carry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and shortly thereafter, the two made it safely to the other side of the river. As the stranger slid off the back of the horse onto dry ground, one of the men in the group asked him, tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? And the man was shocked, admitting he had no idea it was the president. This was before Air Force One and, you know, Secret Service and all kinds of stuff. But he said, I had no idea he was the president. All I know is that some of your faces was written the answer no, and on some of them was the answer yes. His was a yes face. You see how different just the perception of his countenance impacted those around him? Friends, we don't need more grumbling faces in our world. We need more grace faces. Church, let's be those that when we look at people, they see the grace of God. They don't just see grumblers that go, I can't believe he wants to spend time with a sinner. It's interesting, the simplest things oftentimes make the greatest impact, don't they? It's fascinating, Jesus didn't like hire a plane and write some message in the sky. Jesus didn't, uh, didn't go and create some kind of big scene in the middle of what he was doing. What he, he didn't get on the balcony and uh, just give a speech. Sometimes he would teach and he'd do these things. But what Jesus did in this instant was, He invested time relationally with an individual. 
He went and initiated with one person and said, I, I want to get to know you and I want to I spend my day with you listening to your story, asking you about your life, going into your house, meeting on your turf, sharing a meal at your table and getting to know you as you live. And I want to present the good news of grace, God's grace to you. Isn't it interesting how unbusy Jesus was? That he had time to recognize someone and said, hey, Zacchaeus, today I, I need to spend some time with you because I care about you. And so that's what he did. And he went to connect with him. Friends, what would it look like for us to draw near to others as Jesus did? With a grace face that says, I care about you and I want to know you. And I have good news to share with you. Back in our story, some time passes between verses 7 and 8. And as you think about kind of this unfolding of the story, we don't know exactly how it unfolded. We just know they traveled to Zacchaeus' house. There was a meal that was shared, so there probably had to be time that took place for the food to be prepared. They sat down. They probably lingered into the night talking and sharing. And so we know that some time passes between uh, verses 7 and 8. But then at some point it says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Isn't that interesting? That at the end of a day with Jesus, Zacchaeus turns and, and he says he stands. Now, what do you, when do you stand? Usually when you're going to make some kind of an announcement. You stand when you're at the end of something, when you want to get someone's attention and you're saying, hey, I want to, I want to acknowledge something. And I don't know how often you use the word behold, but I think it was, it was intended to get people's attention. He says, behold, Lord. And he refers to Jesus with a new term and calls him Lord. Friends, the gospel shed light on Zacchaeus' story and showed him what real life with God was all about. And because he had met Jesus, his faith and repentance turned his life around and began to lead him in a new direction. Now, what we see here is faith is not actually mentioned in these verses. But what we see is real concrete evidence of what faith was working in him. That because he had faith, he sees Jesus differently and he sees his life and his experiences differently. He begins to do things different. And so here he's saying, this is what I'm committing to do. From now on, things are going to be different because I know Jesus. And I know what a relationship with God is all about. And so he explicitly begins to tell him things he's going to do. And we know that faith happened here because in verse 9, Jesus is going to come around and say, today salvation has come to this house. So Jesus acknowledges that and says that just a little bit later. But when he says, behold, Lord, something's going to be different. You notice what he says? There's two big commitments he makes. Half of all my possessions I give to the poor. For a rich dude, that seems like a pretty big commitment, doesn't it? Uh, it seems like a, an over-the-top sort of a thing. In fact, in Judaism, it was considered extreme generosity to give away 20% of one's possessions. Uh, but anything more than 20%, they actually looked at you a little sideways like you're a little bit crazy. Like that's maybe not very smart. Like you don't really know the future. You don't know what's going to happen. If you give away more than 20%, that's a little bit radical, a little bit un, unsafe. And I'm not sure you're really in, the right, in your right mind. Zacchaeus didn't give 20, he gave 50% of, of all his possessions. Um, now he also says, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, which by the way, that's confession. He's like, yeah, I, I know that I did. Like I know that I took money from a whole lot of people. So he's saying, the fact that I have done this, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Sensing Jewish law uh, penalized extortioners with legal restitution of full repayment plus 20%. What does Zacchaeus commit to do? He says, I'll give 40%. 
I think I'm going to give double what I have to. This isn't what I'm required to do. This is what I want to do. He's making things right with anyone that he's wrong. Friends, when the gospel really hits a person, it always changes who you are. And what we see with, with Zacchaeus is that when he begins to understand who God is and what a relationship that's restored with God, he experiences joy, he experiences humility of saying, man, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done in my, in my life. And so then he experiences gratitude. I can't believe God has loved me and given me his mercy for free. God himself has wiped away my spiritual debt. So I want to turn and give gener- generously to the poor, to those who don't have anything. God gave me, nothing, gave me forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. I want to give to those who have nothing, and I want to give to those I've defrauded, and I want to give over and above because I'm just so thankful. In fact, in the Jewish way of thinking, this is what was called a thank offering, which means he didn't have to do all of this. He wanted to do all this just because he was so grateful. Have you ever just had the grace of God impact you at such a deep level that you just wanted to give away to someone else? You wanted to care for those around. You just you wanted to love someone else because of the love that you were so overwhelmed with the love that God had given you. That's what we see here in Zacchaeus's life. He had been a taker. Now he's a giver because he met the grace of God. Friends, I'm not going to say a lot about this here. This is another sermon for another day. But I was reading recently in a Barna study. They revealed that practicing Christians said they gave on average $3,000 in the last year. Now, if everyone's making 30000 per household, that's probably great. That's what, we're, that's what we're asked to do. But I'm going to guess that if you look at our whole world as an average, that that's less than the average. And I think what it tells us is we don't really understand the grace of God as deeply as we need to. Because when you see what happens with Zacchaeus, is that giving is always between me and the Lord. It's what I decide in my heart. But when God's grace invades a heart, gratitude and generosity always follow. They always flow as an after response or a byproduct of receiving God's grace. We always turn around and give. When grace really hits us, then generosity always comes along. Now, in his response, Zacchaeus becomes, uh, one commentator said, he becomes a model of what generosity really looks like. That when we understand God's grace, we overflow in generosity. And Zacchaeus becomes an example. In fact, Jesus publicly affirms what he sees in Zacchaeus' life through this. Look at verse 9. Let's look at Jesus' response to Zacchaeus. Jesus said to him, Today salvation's come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus says it's happened today, meaning before today, I didn't, geez, Zacchaeus didn't have a relationship with God, but now Zacchaeus does. Something has changed. There's something that is new that's taken place here. And Jesus, it's interesting because who's Jesus talking to when he says this? He's talking about Zacchaeus. But you notice he's using the third person. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. Jesus is actually talking to the crowd. So Jesus has had this encounter with Zacchaeus. He's had this evening. They spent time together. Zacchaeus has told Jesus about the changes he wants to make to his life and how his newfound faith is, is reorienting the way he perceives everything. And Jesus somehow steps back out. And he sees the crowd and he begins to tell the crowd Today, this guy has, has experienced salvation, and he's restored to right relationship with God and with God's people. And so he begins to do that, but then he makes a broader statement, and he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What's he saying? He's saying, do you see this guy? This is, what, this is what I came to do. And what I did for him, I can also do for you. That just as I came and gave him new life, I can give you new life as well. 
Friends, why is Jesus speaking to the crowd? It's because they completely misread the moment, hadn't they? What was their response when they had the grumble face on? And why is he why is he having a meal with a sinner? What they should have been saying is, dude, if he'll eat with that guy, he'll probably eat with me too. Dude, if there's grace enough for that guy, there's probably grace enough for me. Dude, if, if he can give mercy to that really bad dude, then there's probably enough room for in his mercy for me. That's what they should have been saying instead of saying like, man, he's over there and I'm over here. They should have recognized that they too are sinners in need of God's grace. And if God's grace is big enough for Zacchaeus, he's probably big enough for them. And can I just say it's really easy for us to sometimes lose perspective on the mission that God has us on and the purpose that he wants to bring to our lives. And they had missed what, God, what Jesus had come to do. And friends, there's nothing greater than the cause of Christ. Do you realize that you get to play an eternal role in the life of your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends? That you have the opportunity to engage them with the love of God in a way that changes them forever. Jesus says, this is what I came to do. Do you want to get in on this? Because it's an invitation. When Jesus is saying, this is what I came to do, come and follow me, he's inviting us to also seek and save the lost. Think about the word Jesus uses to seek the lost. It's an active word, isn't it? What are things you seek in your life? If you're a parent of young children, you probably just seek some peace and quiet. There's a whole lot of football teams that are seeking a championship right now, and they're sweating and working because they want to see a trophy at the end of the season. Uh, Maybe students are seeking a first chair in band or first string in a sport, or maybe you're seeking uh, to move up in your class rank at your school. Uh, Maybe you're seeking a raise or a vacation if you're a working man or woman. Uh, There's things that we seek and there are things that you want. And what you seek something, it's like, man, I've got a desire here and I'm going to take the initiative to go and try to get it. And Jesus says about people, I came, this is why I came to earth, is to seek, actively, pursue, chase, run after, find, take hold of, people who are lost and need a relationship with God. Friends, he's talking about initiative. At the beginning of this passage, who took, who took the initiative? Jesus. Zacchaeus, come down. Today, I need to spend time with you. Get to the end of the passage. Jesus looks at the crowd. And he says, friends, this is what I'm here for. I came to seek and save guys like him. And did you see the change it made in his life? It radically changed his entire life. And he's been giving stuff away. Friends, hospitality is less about our homes and more about our hearts. It always is about that. Be willing to initiate a relationship with someone else. Now, what does that mean for us? If we're followers of Jesus, it means we're going to look like Jesus, right? Now, look at this verse. I've got a verse I just want to read. Now, if this is what the scripture said, you might be off the hook. The Son of Man came to sit around and hope that lost people groped their way to find him. Now, that's in Levitations 3.16. Um, for those of you that are new, like that's not in the Bible. That's not really there. That's, made up, that's all made up. But if, if that's what the Bible said, if Jesus would have said, like, my job is to sit around and just hope the, the lost people stumble in and find me someday, then we can all wash our hands and be like, we're good. But if we're going to follow Jesus, and Jesus actually said something very different than that, and he said, the Son of Man, I came to earth to seek and to save the lost. 
And friends, don't you think some of that ought to bubble over into our lives? Don't you think some of that ought to hit home here and make us desire to seek those who need to have a relationship with God? That's the call of this passage. And if we're going to be authentic followers of Jesus, we need to be those who seek to know the Lord and to help others know him too. Let me end with this. Paul Tripp says, remember, God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to other people who need grace. See what what, what the, the rhythm or the pattern or the, the rhyme and reason of Scripture, the drumbeat that we see of the gospel is that we receive grace from God, so then we run others that need grace. And as people of grace, we offer grace to them. And that allows people to tangibly feel the grace of God in a different way. Friends, we go to people like Jesus went to Zacchaeus. And maybe you don't know how to do this today. Can I just encourage you? Just try something. Just walk across the street and introduce yourself. Uh, just sit down next to a person at the next ball game. Join the neighborhood book club. Students, go sit by the, the kid in class that didn't have anyone sitting around him. Grab hold of the new guy on the team and invite him to come stand in line with you in the next drill. But the heart of hospitality cannot stand around and wait for others. It always moves outward and runs to others. Let's be those who initiate like Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. That you would cause us to, to love those around us. That we, would, that, that we would just feel the urgency of the opportunity to seek and save the lost. Father, would you give us a heart, Father, for the people in our city. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, who maybe is sitting here today and says, well, I'm, I'm more like Zacchaeus. Father, would you just convince them deep down of your love for them and that just as you came to Zacchaeus that you'll come to them and that your mercy is big enough to give them your life Father we pray it all through Amen